Hello and welcome. Whether you meant to or not, you found Noobs Book Club. I'm Sean, in case you forgot, noob of all trades from Two Generations Gaming. And in this series, I am reading and reacting to the Michael Creighton novel, Jurassic Park. It's been about a month and a half because I just kept saying to myself, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it next week, I'll do it next week. And then a lot of tomorrows and a lot of next weeks later. And I'm finally sitting down to record episode four of the series. But I do have a plan to get back up and running so that I do it weekly. I should be done by either March or April. I can't remember when. I have the new book for the Dragons of Fate series coming in August. And then I've got a book called The Poppy War that I picked up at a local bookstore. And it's part of a series too. So maybe I'll do that one next. Then I'll do the... Dragonlance book, and then I will do Lost World maybe after that. I don't know. Quit City didn't really like Lost World as much as Jurassic Park, but that's okay. In case you forgot, we finished up the second iteration, and I am on to the third iteration. I thought I would get clever and go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven as far as episodes go for each iteration, but what I actually plan on doing, I think, is it a little more clever. It's going to go one, two, three for the third iteration, four. Then back to three, two, one, kind of in that little up and down, almost fractal pattern. Speaking of fractals, this is the third iteration. Details emerge more clearly as the fractal curve is redrawn. It's Ian Malcolm. Jurassic Park. As they make their way further into the park, Ellie, Grant, and Malcolm have a quick conversation. Both Ellie and Grant are impressed, though Grant wants a closer look. Malcolm makes Grant admit that the development changes everything about paleontology. Creighton dresses it up better than me by saying that paleontologists are great at deductive reasoning. You might remember that I said that they just make shit up. Or not. If not, go back and listen to the episode again. I don't remember which episode it was. Two or three. Listen to them all again. What the heck? Why not? They're only like 15 minutes long. They often use that reasoning to challenge their beliefs and knowledge. Dinosaurs were warm-blooded. They formed complex social groups to help rear their young. Now, though, to have living dinosaurs? Not as much need for deduction. Grant resigned to the fate, merely wonders where they got the DNA for the cloning process. Ellie studies the flora and finds it to be authentic, but highly poisonous. This leads her to an internal monologue about how naively people treat plants. Oh, pretty. But, the way I put it the other day when talking to a student, plants develop this defense mechanism to protect them, and humans thought, ooh, spicy. Somebody somewhere should have stopped that firm from being poolside. A kid could eat it, get sick, and then you have a lawsuit on your hands. Then to the hotel suites. Grant sees a TV with a card on top that named the exhibits on each channel. Stupidly cute names like Triceratops Territory. Looking around, he sees a skylight covered by steel bars. Not in the original plan. A hasty addition. Sloppy. Ellie comes in. Those ferns are poisonous. And notice anything about the rooms? Yeah, they changed them. Windows, doors, everything reinforced. And a fence, parenthetically, also not in the plans, surrounds the whole thing. It resembles more a fortress than a resort. Grant means to ask why the changes in the plans. When dinosaurs ruled the earth, they meet at the visitor center. It looks as you'd imagine. Animatronic T-Rex, the quote, when dinosaurs ruled the earth, end quote, banner, other exhibits, Gennaro makes a speech to introduce the tour and reminds them, in spite of the wow factor, is the island safe? He gives a presentation. First, the lizard that bit the girl. He expands on this with a graph. 
Malcolm insists the dinosaurs have escaped. He drops a mini-bomb by deducing that the graph probably has nothing to do with the escapes, though. In order for it to be related, hundreds would have had to escape. But, yes, dinosaurs have escaped. How can he be sure? Well, what's being done here is nearly impossible. Everyone calls this a zoo, but a zoo only recreates nature. This, trying to recreate a bygone era in prehistory, is more like building a space station here on Earth. This leads to an argument between him and Hammond. The Gennaro breaks up. Then a helicopter arrives to continue the tour. As they make their way to the helicopter, Gennaro and Hammond get into it. Gennaro shouts while Hammond tries to calm him to no avail. Someone is on that helicopter, and it is freaking Gennaro out. Two children get off of the helicopter. Hi, Grandpa, they shout. The tour. The kids notice the argument. They both hang back to try to allow the tension to dissipate some. Ed Regis tries to help by offering to introduce them. In true kid fashion, neither of them remembers names, but things like the fat kid with computers and the guy in black. However, Tim gets starstruck when he sees Grant. Lex teases him by saying he has dinosaurs on the brain, something that his father also says. Grant tries to relate by saying that he suffers the same. Lex ramps up the attack by quoting Dad. Dinosaurs are dumb. Play more sports. Ooga booga. Tim tries to get rid of her by getting her to go to the bathroom like she said she was going to do. She defiantly stains. Grant ignores her and continues talking with Tim. Tim tells a story about a trip to the Museum of National History with his father. The old man tries... And that leads to a moment between the two where Tim counts the vertebrae of the T-Rex skeleton. Why? He thinks it's wrong. His dad can't believe it. Tim insists. His dad, Anger, goes to talk to a guard. The guard verifies, and his father returns impressed. But he ruins the moment by repeating the dinosaurs on the brain comment. They then leave the museum, and Tim no longer gets to see any more dinosaurs on the trip, which is the whole reason that they took the trip to begin with. So a little bit of uh, tension there. Grant asks him, if it is SO27, because he knows about it, and they've been trying to fix it. But that might not matter, because of what's happening. What's that? It's just a resort, right? As the tour continues, Ed Regis starts to feel sorry for himself. On top of everything else, he suddenly becomes a babysitter. As a PR rep, nobody takes him seriously, and he ends up handling all of the odd jobs in the company. His passion and creativity wasted on tours and grandkids. They pass several warning signs. Tim, of course, gets more and more excited with each sign. What crazy shit are they doing? But the first stop is less than exciting. The control room. Regis introduces them to John Arnold and Robert Baldoon. Then he drops the bomb that they're going to see how and where dinosaur DNA is obtained. The sign on the door says, quote, extractions. Inside, a room bathed in a green light and four scientists working at stations. Regis introduces Henry Wu, who explains the two possible sources of DNA. First, the Loy method, which is not very efficient, and the Amber method, which allows them to extract from insects preserved in amber. Plus, dinosaur DNA is easier to find because it can be taken from red blood cells. A computer, parenthetically, or computers, sequence the genes, search for gaps, and work to plug those gaps. This is the part of the book that even Quinn admitted to skimming. You expect me to read entire pages of A's, C's, G's, and T's, he asked? This bores Nedry. He worked on the systems for the computers, and they needed massive amounts of power for data processing. So he figured the basics of what they might be working on. He tunes back into the conversation just as Wu explains how they figure out which dinosaur it is, either through computer analysis or simply hatching the egg. As the tour goes on, Tim gets increasingly less interested. Moreover, the rest of the group joins him one by one.
Finally, they get to a room labeled Hatchery. They keep the environment at what Grant calls, quote, Jurassic atmosphere, end quote. Wu interjects, presumably. He gives them some warnings. Tell him if they feel faint. Don't touch the eggs. Watch your heads. They have 150 eggs, all identified with codes like STEG-458-2. They have a survival rate of about 4%. The dinosaurs grow quickly, full size, within months. Some have XXXX as their identifier because they don't know until it hatches. Now, onto the nursery. A young woman sits on the floor. She identifies the animal as a baby raptor and steps aside. Nedry says it looks like a lizard. Velociraptor, Grant says. Velociraptor mongolensis, who follows from where they found it. Grant mentions the raptor he excavated, and then kneels to get a closer look. It leaps over him into Tim's arms. Tim seems nervous. Wu assures him that she's friendly. No teeth, not even egg teeth. The staff have to help them out of the egg. That happens in the wild, Grant asks. Can't, Wu responds. All the animals are sterile, and furthermore, they are all female. Malcolm questions both of those. First, the radiation might be the wrong dose, or aimed wrong. Also, he uses the dinosaur skirts line regarding gender. Wu deflects both. The first with simply a stern declaration. The other, he explains that they manipulate the process to ensure all females. He also shuts down any further questions with another stern declaration. They simply cannot breed. Meanwhile, the Velociraptor continues the bond with Tim. Grant comes over first to observe, then to ask to hold the animal. Tim hands it over. The raptor becomes agitated. Regis asks Grant to release it. Grant protests. Regis insists. Grant relents. Regis explains that they are very protective of the dinosaurs since they are so fragile as infants. Now, onto the park tour. Control. Malcolm continues with another line of questioning. How many species? About 15? You don't know? I stopped counting. Shit happens. We were up to 20. Probably now of 15. And one of them is Procompsonactus. Compies? Oh yes. They are important to the island. Dino gut bacteria died off with them, but the compies eat the poop, and then their poop breaks down. How many? About 50. That's a lot. Well, the control room does just that to keep track of them all. Suppose one escaped. They can't. Okay, but just pretend. Like the one that picked the girl on the beach? I assure you that can't happen. First, alarms would alert us. Secondly, we bred them as ticking time bombs. They will die after 12 hours without a supplement. We know what we're doing. We've taken many precautions. In the control room, they are docking for supplies, so they need to wait. Ellie asks about defective dinosaurs and how they know. Wu admits that some of it is guesswork, but maybe the paleoscientists can help them by checking against fossil records. They move the conversation to talk of raptors. Eventually, Grant requests to see the adult raptors on the island. They aren't part of the park yet, but they can go to the holding pen. Grant, Ellie, Malcolm, and Tim all go back. Grant goes on an internal soliloquy about kids and why they love dinosaurs. The beasts are large, and sometimes scary like their parents. And they love them very much like they love their parents. He also surmises that they learn so much so fast to exert power over the large and scary. Grant makes conversation with Tim as they walk. They pass a generator. Malcolm remarks that it seems too large for a simple resort. Computers? Maybe. Bleeding interrupts their thoughts. A goat. To feed the dinos? They come to a large fence topped with barbed wire. They hear snorting. Ellie notices first. A large head, two feet long, with a full mouth of teeth. The raptor parts the ferns with a muscled arm. Two attack from the side, snarling and leaping into the air. They hit the fence, throwing off sparks. Everything happens so fast. Malcolm makes that comment and that they moved like birds. Grant responds 
that they act as much as paleontologists thought. Then he goes on a history of the science. Eventually, after discussing attack patterns, they arrive at the point where Malcolm comes to the conclusion that the dinosaurs have somehow learned that humans are a threat and mean to stand up to that threat. New characters. Tim and Lex. I said previously that maybe seeing him and his grandpa might soften my stance about him. So far, nope. I see him as a short-sighted and selfish man willing to put his grandchildren in harm's way for what? To prove that the park is safe enough for the kids? Any sane person can see the shortcuts taken by InGen and the hastily constructed solutions that will result in the possible critical failure of the park. As far as the kids themselves, I don't know enough about Lex right now to form an opinion. But I liked him. His obsession with dinosaurs reminds me of Quinn and all the fun we had playing Lego Jurassic World a few years ago. Dr. Henry Wu. One of my favorite characters from the movies. I don't know why they ever made him into a villain, but I can discuss that in the movie versus episode later. Also, Wu suffers from what Stephen King called a lack of imagination. That is, I can only see him as B.D. Wong. He just did such a good job portraying him, even made me almost accept him as a villain. Velociraptors. The dinosaurs got introduced last set of chapters with the one they saw as they flew into the park. This time we get both a baby raptor and then some action when they go to see the adults in the pen. And of course, it showed off more of the shitty planning of the resort. Ed Regis and Dennis Nedry. Technically not new characters, but we get more on their backgrounds and motivation. Crucial information for character-driven stories like this one. The world feels that much more real and alive when supporting characters fit in with the main characters so well. Along those same lines, John Arnold and Robert Muldoon are name-checked during the tour. Now for a discussion of the science. When talking about the book with my kids, Quinn said something about not reading the whole book. Liam replied with somewhat of an admonishing t tone. You expect me to read pages of a gene sequence, was Quinn's defense. To be fair, a good defense. I appreciate good science, parenthetically, or even pseudoscience, and parenthetical, in my stories. But this either feels like overkill or a winky nod at the true science nerds out there. Aside from that, he makes the science plausible. Like, reading the book, I lose myself in the science. And instead of a fanciful fiction, I think that I'm reading a quote based on a true story, end quote, account, or slightly exaggerated documentary. Certainly feels more real than the found footage movies and TV shows. Like the moon landing, I wonder why nobody tried to use this technology in a more benign way. All of that is a testament to Crichton's ability to grasp and explain the science to us. Now for what I liked least. These chapters pick up where the previous ones left off. That is to say that they move slowly. Creighton seems to recognize this during the tour. He writes how everyone begins to get bored with the preliminary parts of that tour. I, along with them, was screaming, quote, Where are the freaking dinosaurs already? End quote. Again, I understand the need to build anticipation and suspense. However, I feel like he could have upped the pace just a little bit. Certainly, as already described, the pages of DNA readouts is superfluous and not integral to the story at all. While the same can't be said for the rest of the section, that is to say, it doesn't feel superfluous. I can't explain it, though. Maybe I'm just less patient as I get older. In any case, it all leads to one heck of a payoff. Like, I want everything to unfold like the raptor attack. He delays the conclusion to build anticipation and suspense. He gives us a glimpse into Grant's thoughts as the attack progresses. And he still delivers a thrilling conclusion. But it all happens so fast. Maybe he wrote it intentionally that way to bring attention to the speed and ferocity of the raptor attack. Hot damn, this guy is a good author. And now for what I like best. Again, I understand the problematic behavior of Ian Malcolm. None of it was on display this time. Nevertheless, I don't excuse it and may occur at any time. I promise to call it out when it happens. With that long and detailed disclaimer, I can dislike that part of his personality and still like his character. 
Okay, maybe that's taking it too far. I really only like his ability to know exactly when and how to question the planning and execution of this park. The others notice inconsistencies and hasty attempts at fixes, but never address them. They say they will, but they don't. Malcolm does. At the end of the section, he brings up the fact that it seems that the Velociraptors learned that humans are a threat. Subtle, but another reminder that not all is right with this experiment. Experiment is probably not even the right word here, because they don't explicitly follow the experimental, parenthetical, scientific method. It's more of a trial. Side note, I want to explore that more. Similarly, he responds to the data about infant mortality with skepticism that isn't caused by animals escaping, though he's quick to add animals surely have escaped. He also argues against their claim that it is a dinosaur zoo. Instead, he counters that it is a whole different world, more like a space station, as I said earlier. We all know that shit goes sideways. Otherwise, what's the point of this book? I find it interesting, though, that only Malcolm expresses his concerns about it publicly. Maybe the others are just too idealistic. I listened to a podcast the other day, and one of the hosts expressed that when he was younger, he simply assumed that things worked because people who knew what they were doing made them work. Hmm. Another major theme to discuss. Is there a better one at this time? I don't think so. But also, I'm not prepared to talk about it just yet. I'll have ample time to do so in the next episode. Now for my final thoughts. Other than missing over a month and being out of practice, parenthetical, see what I mean? Why did I start with that? Oh well, let's start over. In parenthetical. The action started to pick up at the end of this section. I already talked again about how I feel like it took a little bit too long to get there, but that's fine. I just think for some reason... My old age has made me less patient with some things. Oh, maybe what they say is true. Those infernal devices affect us and shorten our attention spans. Oh, wow. I just now made that connection. Something else to explore, perhaps? Another time. For now, I'm just excited to get to the action in the book. While I know the general story, I don't remember the specifics, and from what I remember, it's epic. Bring on the dinosaurs in actual chaos. As always, thanks for listening. You can find us if you haven't already at www twoguysgaming.net we don't have a ton of articles this week actually no articles because i'm working on getting the youtube back up and running and this podcast back up and running so far so good it's a success there'll be articles again next week i'll do my comic reviews and uh, probably the next season of marvel snap which i don't know exactly what it is not even going to bother mentioning the socials at this point because there's nothing going on there i'm actually off of social media and i'm not inspired to do so for the page but Maybe I will in the future. I will be back with this series on Saturday with episode 5. I will talk to you then. Bye, guys. We are...